1: Is about to begin.
0: Hey, 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 come on in.
1: Welcome to Buckeye Talk. That may or may not be the first and only time you hear that on this episode. We're doing this on the fly. We recorded a whole episode earlier today. Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Steven Means, Doug Lamer, on Sabbatical. We recorded a whole episode today that was about a lot of things, but was mostly about Ohio State football recruiting. Talked a little bit about Ohio State uh, in the Big Ten Awards. Talked a little bit about Steven uh, really just falling flat on his face on that uh, Duke Ohio State basketball pick, and but most of it was about recruiting. And then at about seven o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday night, Ohio State got a recruit and it happens to be a pretty huge one. So we feel like we couldn't go a whole recruiting podcast and then not mention this. So Devin Brown, number 52 player in the 24-7 sports composite, the number five quarterback in the 2022 class, commits to the Buckeyes. That gives Ohio State back the 2022 quarterback it lost because it recruited such a good 2022 quarterback that he could make millions of dollars or whatever by shifting to the 2021 class in Quinn Ewers obviously is who we're speaking of there so it left a little bit of a gap Ohio State has filled it he is the 17th commitment in the 2022 class Stephen this was not necessarily a surprise but things were bouncing around a little bit here right he decommits from USC and then USC hires Lincoln Riley so I guess just from your perspective the timeline of this how it's played out over the past I don't know week
0: Yeah, um, he decommitted because USC didn't have a coach and your quarterback needs to be aligned with your coach. So ideally, he made the right decision in decommitting. And then out of the blue, I don't think nobody saw that coming. Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for USC. There's no way to predict that, because if you saw that coming, he probably doesn't decommit. Right. Right. Uh, So he decommits, he reopens things, and the decommitment basically comes like a couple of days after he's on Ohio State's campus watching C.J. Stroud pick apart Michigan State, which is a pretty good day to have your quarterback go off like that when you have a top 100 recruit in the building who wants to see how good the quarterbacks are. Uh, And then it's a week goes by Lincoln Riley gets hired. And then the question basically becomes because he was going to sign early because the the idea is he's going to enroll early in January. So regardless, he was going to be signing during the early signing period. So basically over these next two weeks, it was going to be, does he want to join this crowded Ohio State quarterback room? Does he want to go to Ole Miss and play for Lane Kiffin? Does he want to go to Texas and play for Steve Sarkeesian? Those two also got official visits. Or does he want to just opt back in with USC and play for Lincoln Riley? Those are all quality places ago given what you know the the history of of what those coach head coaches can do with quarterbacks and he picked ohio state's room it had been trending that way for a while and he picked ohio state's room so ideally how this works cj Styles is starting quarterback in 2022 that's just he's a quarterback this creates a quarterback battle Going into the spring of 2023, between Quinn Ewers and Devin Brown to be Ohio State's next quarterback. Ideally, as long as CJ Stroud does what he's supposed to do, and then this is like off to the NFL. And then him and Price Young can battle it out to be the first quarterback taken off the board.
1: This is the plan. This is what Ryan Day's been executing for a while. And everyone's going to look at this. People do look at this and say, well, that means somebody's going to leave. And he's going to say, yep, that's yeah. what's going to happen. And some, but somebody is going to win. And by having this level of competition every year, he feels like it ensures that you get the right guy every year. Now, it it sometimes does sound to me counter to what he has also said in the past about wanting to have a starter for like a two or three year span. But it doesn't preclude that. It just means that that person has to emerge earlier in, in some of these battles. But you're right. I don't think this for 2022, this is about depth. And it does give them a little bit of depth protection. If, because right now there are three scholarship quarterbacks: C.J. Stroud, Cam McCord, Quinn Ewers, on this roster. I don't think we expect all three of those scholarship quarterbacks to get to next fall.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair statement. Yeah. So yeah, this gives statement. them
1: this gives them back if somebody decides to leave, which would be completely plausible and maybe even smart on the part of of somebody deciding to leave at some point, then it gives you that third guy back. Now you still have three scholarship guys. Day has always said he actually prefers to have four, but three at least gets you. Yeah. Three at least gets you a, a, a three gets you a normal standard. Two, I think is a problem. If you only have two, then I think you're playing with fire. Three at least gives you something to work with. Tell us about Devin Brown though, because. Um, I, Watching him on film is fun. I think he's a talented guy. Um, He looks the part in a lot of ways. He's like 6'3", 190. Uh, a lot of stuff on his, when you look back at the Elite 11 performances that he had, and just some of the workouts that were going on there. A lot of off-platform stuff, a lot of like moving him out of the pocket and him doing things on the run, but still showing off a really impressive arm. Like there was some Justin Fields ish stuff there. He doesn't have Mm. uh, that top line speed the way Justin Fields does. Hardly anybody does. There's receivers that don't. So don't get freaked out by that. But just his ability, I thought, to do to move sort of horizontally and make, you know, deep throws, things like that. I there's some skill here.
0: Gunslinger. 100% gunslinger. Um, and all the good and all the bad that comes with being a gunslinger. like, like I'm glad you brought up the name Justin Fields because Justin Fields is a big game hunting quarterback. This kid is a big game hunting quarterback. He is going to go look for the 40-yard touchdown every single time. And now the, Ryan Day is going to have to ra- ring that in some a little bit because Kyle McCord is kind of like that too, and we saw some of the negative sides of being like that when you're not experienced, so he'll have to rein that in. But I, 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 like, I like what he is. I like what he brings because that's what Ryan Day, he wants <laughs> –
1: I don't know what he's doing back there. Go ahead. My dog my threw dog me is off my bed behind
0: us. Sorry. I just completely threw off my train of thought. But I I do like this. You got another guy who can push the ball up field. Now we've seen that in the past. Ryan Day wants to be able to do that. Justin could do it. CJ, as he got healthier with the shoulder, he started to be able to do that stuff. Kyle McCord in spurts, when we saw him against Akron, showed he could do that stuff. Quinn Ewers can do that stuff. So yes, that ability to push the ball up the field. But I think the more important thing with his talent level is. We've had this argument in the past about, you know, should Ryan Day do this, go after the best quarterback in every single cycle, or should he do the every other year thing that we see other people doing? I think I'm more on your side now. I like this plan. I like this idea of it, it is kind of like a every other year. Th- it's it's you have a guy for two years, but every you're not stuck with one guy. You have a battle every two years for your starting quarterback. And that's the thing here. Quinn Ewers, the perfect rating, maybe the next Trevor Lawrence, all that stuff is great. But you need somebody to make sure that makes that happen, and a guy like Devin Brown is talented enough to challenge Quinn Ewers for that starting role a year from now. That's and that's what matters here most is that it. it, it, It's as Ryan Day has said. I mean, he said he said it to us when we went there to sit down with him, and I asked him the straight up question: Is there a perfect way to recruit quarterbacks? He said no, because what if you're wrong? What if all these ratings and all this hype and it's off? And that goes for everybody, whether it's C.J. Stroud, whether it's Quinn Ewers, Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, it doesn't matter. And so this is an insurance policy. Now you've got a battle in 2023 because this guy's talented enough to challenge Quinn Ewers. And he's talented enough to challenge anybody in the room.
1: This it, It all sounds great on paper. What I think is most interesting to me is that I understand having that plan like in your head if you're Ryan Day. But they keep getting guys... buy into it like they keep it's every year it's not like that they're just getting a pretty good quarterback like this is from 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 you already had fields here and then you get Miller and Ewers. and Miller I know his prospect I mean I'm sorry you got Miller and Stroud and I know Miller's prospect status had dropped at that point but a guy who was in the top 100 close to top 50 right at one point you get Miller and Stroud then you get McCord a top you know a five-star caliber guy and then now you're getting then you get Ewers on top of that and then you get Brown on top of that. Like, I know these guys tend to have like supreme confidence in themselves. That's one of the things that makes them an elite quarterback talent. But why do you think that Ryan Day has been successful at getting this caliber of guy in every single class? Because it's not just that you have an offense that provides the opportunity for production. You also have to convince them that no matter who else is there, that they're going to get that fair shake to emerge and i and not every prospect would sign up for this challenge but somehow he keeps getting like the best in the country to do it
0: i mean we keep saying that but I, there is a way you can recruit it to make it happen and it's that it's kind of the same thing they do with the wide receivers where it's like are you really like that come prove it come come rise to the top in this room that's what it, i mean with especially with the wide receivers where they're not playing more than 3 guys Come show me how good you are, unless you're scared of the competition.
1: Well, but you're still playing three guys, though. At yeah, least. You're right. and yeah, you're you right. Yeah, you're right. Get them on like special teams right. and stuff. Like I'm just Seven like Brown yeah. ain't going back there to return it's, kids it's, next year.
0: It's it's that to like the tenth degree because it's only one guy, but there is this element of because quarterbacks have egos. They probably have bigger egos than anybody else on the planet. So there is that level of like, hey man, you really think you like that? come prove it because we got four guys in this room who all think they're like that too. Come show what you, one of y'all gonna have to prove it. And the one who proves it ends up being, ends up going to New York every fall. And we're seeing it with CJ Stroud right now. And he's going to be the, him and Bryce Young are going to be the favorites going in the next season. And then we'll probably see it with other Devin Brown and Quinn yours. And then Jaden Davis and whoever he's battling and going down the line. That's what this is. It's, it's, it's not so much of like, Hey, come get challenged. It's just like, Hey, come prove to us. You're really that guy. Because everybody in this room thinks that's how you have to sell it. You can't just go, there's an easy route. While everybody else can say, hey, we have an easy route to the field. You just sit behind the guy for the year. Then you take over. Mm -mm. Come prove it. Come show me.
1: I wonder if we're going to someday look back and think, if CJ Stroud had not set out the Akron game and kind of corrected the trajectory of his season, how does that, the season he ends up having, how does that Mm. affect the future of Ohio State's quarterback group. Like, because I guess you're saying that he can look guys in the eye and say, hey, the plan is working. Like, look at what yeah. CJ did this year. Look at where he's going to be in another week. Look at where Quinn Ewer still is. Look at what, like, I mean, he's driving around town and whatever he's driving around town in. Like, yeah. you know, it, every step of the thing you can still sell as working, but kind of only because CJ Stroud figured it out this year. Whereas we were three weeks in and kind
0: of wondering if that was going to happen. I think it's almost the other selling point then of like, you're not stuck because I do think let's just say CJ wasn't hurt and it was simply because he wasn't playing well and then you get past the Akron game and maybe you get into you maybe you give him another Big Ten game and he's still really struggling like that I think Kyle McCord would have started from that point on I'm not dismissing that idea of that happening because then what you're selling is it's the other thing I said but then also we're not just going to pick a starter and be stuck with that starter because we have to be stuck with that starter, but there was enough of a health element to what CJ was going through and being okay with some of the growing pains that got better every single week, even if they didn't get better immediately, that you had enough faith to stick with CJ's job. But I do believe that if it really came down, down c- comes down to it or any given year, he's willing to pull a guy. I mean, we just saw Lincoln Riley do it with Spencer out and Caleb Williams. You I I'm, I'll believe that Ryan Day, if you're going to recruit a room like this, you've got to be willing to do it, too. But there also has to be a level of there's a fine line with it. You have to be patient. And You have to know that when it's the first year of a guy starting, there are going to be growing pains and you can't just snatch a guy out there because he has one bad throw. It's got to be four or five games into it.
1: That's tricky, though, because Oklahoma was lucky to not lose earlier than it did with mm-hmm. Spencer Rattler this year. And that's, I think, the position you're you're putting yourself in there is do, do, what point do you pull the trigger? Do you pull it before a loss happens? But anyway, we're getting way ahead of ourselves because right now things are going pretty good in the Ohio State quarterback room, including tonight's commitment. So that's Devin Brown joining the 2022 class. Now this is going to lead right into the episode that we had already recorded. So you might hear me say welcome to Buckeye Talk again. I'm leaving that <laughs> in Steven's hands. He's producing the podcast tonight. We'll see how that goes. I think he'll probably leave on the part at the end where I make fun of him for picking Duke to win by 13 and then not. Um, But we we did talk basketball. We talked football. We talked a lot of recruiting. We answered your questions from the tech subscribers. So stay tuned to more Buckeye Talk. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk on another busy week of the Ohio State Football it's not really the offseason. It's almost not really yet the postseason. They're in it's it's like the Ohio State football purgatory. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Steven Means. We are talking about recruiting mostly today. We got some questions from our tech subscribers early this week. It's gonna be uh several of them ask questions that we want to get to today they have to do with what's going on in the coaching carousel and how it affects Ohio State and uh, some things that aren't related to that but are related to are some questions that people have coming out of this season and what effect recruiting has had on that but before that and after that we're going to talk about some of the news around the program there was a basketball game last night if you listen to Wednesday's Buckeye talk Stephen guaranteed I think pretty much like put his life on the line that the Duke was going to beat Ohio State. Come back at the end of the podcast and we'll see how that went. And right up front, though, we want to talk about the breaking news in the Big Ten, which was the announcement of the offensive awards. If you listen to Wednesday's pod, we talked about the defensive awards that came out Ohio State with uh, only one first team defensive player, four first team offensive players, three that were both by the coaches and the media. That was CJ Stroud, Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit Frere. And then Chris Olave was a first team pick of the coaches. Uh, CJ Stroud was also the Offensive Player of the Year, Quarterback of the Year, and Freshman of the Year. And he had probably, at some point, you could have argued, had some competition for Offensive Player of the Year. You had Kenneth Walker in the mix, some other guys. He had really no competition, I don't think, for Quarterback of the Year, Freshman of the Year. And so let's start talking about CJ Stroud, and then we're going to get into some of the first team debates. Because I know people have them, and I want to kind of talk people through, I think, why I think the voting turned out the way it did. But let's start with CJ Stroud. Coming out of that Tulsa game, I think there were real questions as to whether or not he was going to have this kind of a season. It had a strong start against Minnesota, but he didn't look right. That was a game where I would say his most erratic game of the year, the game where he looked the least confident. He takes the next game off against Akron, and then from then on is sort of a new quarterback. And I thought that over the course of this season, I thought he validated himself. And of the three of us, Stephen, by the way, I should mention Doug's not here today. That's why he hasn't been mentioned yet. Uh, This is just Stephen and I today. Um, Stephen, you were the one of the three of us that was maybe taking the most wait and see approach. And not that we were saying that CJ Stroud shouldn't have his job anymore, but we were Doug and I were maybe the ones openly questioning whether or not Ohio State was going to have to look farther And I think he, in the long run, definitely proved who the quarterback of this team was and that I think Ryan Day made the right decision.
0: Yeah, I think there was always going to be a learning curve right? Brand new starting quarterback, hadn't played football basically in two years. You know, there was just a lot that he was just going to have to kind of learn and trial by fire. And so some of his mistakes, the high throws, some of the late decisions, not being ready to go win a game for you against Oregon. I thought all of that was normal and none of it was alarming in a way that, hmm, let's go see what Kyle McCord can do. Let's go see what Jack Miller can do. Now, the problem is Ryan Day set up this room to where you can you're validated in saying that, hey, let's see what the other five-star recruit can do. You know what I'm saying? If they had a room like Oklahoma's room or Alabama's room or Clemson's room, you couldn't say that. You would just have to allow yourself to be okay with the growing pains. Granted, him having the the eight, the, the separated AC joint, which he revealed on the Big Ten Network during the middle of the season, didn't help that. It probably made is now he's dealing with growing pains and he's got that's a pretty severe injury to have on your throwing throwing arm. That's so all that combined led to what that was. And my argument was always let's see where it's at after six games, really, and let's see him grow. And I think having to sit for the Akron game, one gave him a chance to just reset his mind a little bit because I think that was a lot. For him to have to go through and not not be completely healthy and it was kind of showing up in some of his emotions when he would talk to us you know post game interviews even if it wasn't necessarily getting to him a chance to kind of reevaluate where he sat and just reset his mind get healthy and then we saw what we saw basically from weeks five on is the guy who's now probably going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist
1: yeah he's the first player to ever win To sweep the freshman of the year, offensive player of the year, quarterback of the year in the same year, which you obviously can only do in the same year because it's involving freshman of the year. He also, along the career, set Ohio State's single season record for quarterback efficiency, beating out even what Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins did the last three years, beating out, um, set a new record for completion percentage, and set a new record for yards per game. So we don't, I don't want to relitigate too much what we've always talked about through the course of the year. I think you're right that that game off was as important for him from a mental standpoint as a physical standpoint. And now I think if you're an Ohio State fan, the intriguing thing is where does he go from here? Like now that he has a full year, now that he has an off season to get even healthier than he was this year, because I'm sure that that week off helped him physically, but I doubt it magically as much as he wanted to use that term fixed everything that might have been wrong with his throwing arm and shoulder at that time so i think another you know some off-season time to get healthy some off-season time to like you know refocus on on everything that happened this year if you're ohio state fans i think you have to be excited about what cj stroud presents for 2022 but also recognize that the challenges are going to be greater in 2022 you do not have the same proven level of receiving core, you do not know yet what your offensive line is going to look like in totality. You no longer have Jeremy Ruckert. So there are ways that he is going to be potentially better in 2022, but the challenge is going to be that much greater for him to go out and and replicate these kind of accolades, let alone lead Ohio State to the kind of season it wants to have.
0: Yeah, we don't really know what's going to happen with Notre Dame. Obviously, Marcus Freeman is probably the leader there for all sense and purposes, but that's the that's the major difference between what Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields had versus what CJ is going to have in his two years as a starter at least the, that we know of. we'll see what happens after that but he's not starting the season off with these gimme games where he can work up into it he's kind of got to be on his game from day one in that Notre Dame game and then obviously the next two weeks he gets to reprieve with Arkansas State and Toledo but he's got a I remember when Justin came out against Nebraska in 2020 and he had one incompletion and he was like, Oh yeah, he's awesome. It doesn't matter what else is going on because Justin is awesome. I think he kind of needs to be at that level and there's no reason to think he won't be there from day one, but it's that it's more of a necessity for CJ in a way it wasn't for Dwayne and Justin headed into you know their last year as a starting quarterback here. Well, expected I, last year. A,
1: that's a good point. I, that, and that season opener um, was a big deal already. And now it's going to be a massive deal because it's mm-hmm. going to be the debut of a new Notre Dame head coach. And I think that's going to be uh, hard to imagine many more eyeballs being on that game than there already was. But that, that's going to be huge. Uh, by the way, uh, Fox just announced that the ratings for the game was made it its biggest single season, biggest regular season game ever in the history of Fox College Football. About 60 mm. million people watch that. So um, that tells you, again, just kind of the, the popularity of that. Rivalry and the popularity of Ohio State football within that. So going back to the to the teams, that was the only individual awards that Ohio State won this year. You know, at the start of this year, I think we would have expected Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to contend for receiver of the year. That went to produce David Bell. We would have expected maybe one of Ohio State's running backs to be in the mix for the running back award. And, and certainly as the season went on, maybe Trevin Henderson. But that was Kenneth Walker the third's award to lose from pretty early on this year. And I didn't actually see, I assume Linderbaum from Iowa won the offensive lineman of the year. That was always kind of his award to lose, but obviously yes. Ohio state had some candidates. So um, going back to the first team conversation, let's just go right to the quote unquote controversies. Uh, Chris Olave was the first teamer by the coaches, not by the media. Garrett Wilson was second team for both the coaches in the media. And Jackson Smith, and Jigbo was third team for both the coaches and the media. So, again, there's only two receivers on each team unless there's a tie in the vote and they'll, they'll go to a third guy, which they did at some positions. So the first teamers were David Bell by the coaches and the media. And Jahan Dotson was the other one who got the media vote that bumped Olave and or Wilson out, depending on how you're looking at that. Does that voting surprise you at all?
0: Yeah, I thought Garrett Wilson would be. Unanimous coaches and media, especially since he got on the field with Jahan Dotson, and I know they don't actually. He can't stop Jahan Dotson from doing what he's doing, and Jahan can't stop him. But Garrett was clearly the best receiver in that game, and when and even when they played Purdue, an Ohio State receiver was the best receiver in that game, and everybody watched that. But also, they came in with the reputation of being the best two receivers in the Big Ten. So I, in Garrett's the best one. I thought he might be first team. But I I don't know if I don't know if it's a controversy. It's just weird that the order from the coach's standpoint, the order of which which team they made is the polar opposite of the order of which they finished in terms of catches and yards this season. And I think some of that is reputation based.
1: uh, Maybe, but that part of it also, especially on the coach's side of things, you're not going to vote as much just on pure stats. You're going to vote on impact. You're going to vote on who you felt like you had to worry about the most who wrecked your game plan or affected your game plan the most. So it didn't surprise me that Jackson Smith, the Jigba, especially just being a sophomore was the one of these three that finished with uh, as a third teamer. And again, by the way, when we're saying, you know, first team is two guys. So if you're on second team, that means you were picked as one of the, you know, depending on how you look at it, one of the three or four best receivers in the conference and then third team, one of the five or six. So it's not, I, I want people to think of it in that terms, not just in terms of like third team being this like, far down the line situation. Um, But I wasn't surprised at all. I was actually wondering if Ohio state would have any first team receivers simply because not because they didn't deserve it, but because I think it's easier for people to vote and say, I know who to vote for among David Bell was going to be first team. Like David Bell had Mm -hmm. too many huge games and too many huge wins for Purdue. Like David Bell was going to be first team. And then when it came down to people like Dotson or whoever else was being considered, I guess he would have really been the only other one probably in the conversation. But you you know who he is relative to everybody else on his team. And I think people have a hard time deciding which Ohio State guy to vote for. They feel they're worried that they're making the wrong pick if they vote for one. And maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. You should look at it and say, well, there's no wrong answer. And maybe the people also did that too, and it just splits the vote up enough yeah. that you, you get deprived of enough votes to be, and it wasn't that nobody was voting for Chris Olave or even Garrett Wilson to be first team. It's just, they didn't get enough votes because people, I think, I think they take votes from each other. That's how this works sometimes.
0: It's almost the con of being in a room like this. I mean, if you're going to recruit a bunch of five star top 100 receivers, it's like, hey, come be in the best room in the country where you're going to compete and you're going to get developed at a high level. And but your reward isn't going to show up until draft day. You're not going to get all these postseason accolades the way you maybe should have just based off your natural talent. But I mean, the real award, the real bullet award, the real best, uh, big best Big Ten receiver, the real, you know, all Big Ten first team is going to show up on draft day. Who comes first off that board?
1: And by the way, for people who want to make statistical arguments, David Bell led the conference in receptions it and is. yards. Jahan Dotson had 91 catches and 12 touchdowns. Like they had statistical mm-hmm. cases as well. And yes, Ohio State's players were all right there in that mix. But again, I think just voters have a hard time separating them. I think we, over the course of watching these guys for the last three years, had decided that Will uh, Garrett Wilson would be the one that would probably be our first team guy. And then Olave would be mm-hmm. maybe even deserving a first team. But if you had to put one on second team, you'd be like we can make that, but we've watched every game they've played for three years. And mm-hmm. that's just not true. The rest of the conference. And for Ohio state fans who want to complain about, you're welcome to complain. You're welcome to think that it's too bad that these guys didn't get as many accolades as they should have. Um, but we've seen cases where reputation has helped Ohio state's candidates as much as it has hurt them. So, Don't forget about that. Um, Where else? Running back, uh, Kenneth Walker III, again, had one of those spots locked down. Hassan Haskins got the other first team pick from the coaches and the media. And I can't help but wonder how much of that vote was swung with that last game. I don't know if Trevon Henderson was going to beat him out, but after that last game, I don't know how you could argue that Haskins didn't deserve that first team spot.
0: Yeah. I I think that's what did it because it's not so much that Travion Henderson didn't show up. It's just Hassan Haskins is one of the three reasons why Michigan won the game. And that matters when, as you said, 15 million people are watching that game.
1: Yeah. All of Ohio state's offensive linemen were either first, second or third team, except for Luke Whipler and Matt Jones. And they were both honorable mention picks. So Ohio state had six offensive linemen across the all big 10 team, which I think says something. The one, Snub here, but I think it's only a snub, maybe from Ohio State fans' perspective, is it Jeremy Ruckert is only an honorable mention guy. But when you go look again at the stats in the Big Ten, it's he's a victim of his own success or a victim of yeah. Ohio State success. Like Ohio State needs him to do other things. He doesn't you go look, he's like eighth in receptions and sixth in yards, and uh he's not like his three touchdowns are even like fourth or fifth among just tight ends, just tied ins. So uh I think that one of those things again, where you just have to settle for winning a lot of games and possibly being a really good draft pick uh, over some of the guys who finish ahead of you in votes like this. That's just how it goes.
0: Yeah. Listen, you don't, if you're a tight end, you don't come to Ohio state, hoping you're going to be an all big 10 guy. It's just never going to work out that way. Jeremy Rucker could have went to Iowa, Wisconsin, or Nebraska and probably been first team all big 10 just based off what his base level talent was. That's not happening here because if you're going to give the ball to anybody you're give it to these receivers.
1: And again, there's I think you could even argue that there are probably seasons in Ohio State history where they would have featured him more because it would have made more sense. But in this receiving core, no, it didn't really. Uh, why why aren't you? Throw, why would you not throw more to those other guys? So. All right. I think that probably covers all of the bases on that. So let's get into recruiting. Like we said, tick sex subscribers, 614-350-3315. We had a rapid fire earlier this week and we got. A good handful of recruiting questions that Doug saved for Steven and I to get into today. So let's start off at the top where people are really curious about what happens now because of the coaching carousels. So here is a text from the 330. With all the coaching changes, what is the recruiting impact for the Buckeyes, good and bad? So obviously there's been head coaching changes at USC, LSU, Notre Dame, Florida. Some of those places have are replacements in place. Some of them don't. And that's just, a, that's only five that I just named. I'm, I'm forgetting or didn't mention several others. There's some other pretty high profile openings and there's others that are going to open up because of people filling those jobs that I just talked about. So, Stephen, as, as you've kind of pervade this over the last, pervade, pervade this over the last couple of days, perused, uh, what, what, Observe. what do you think is the, what do you think is the good and bad recruiting impact
0: for Ohio State so I kind of went into this in small detail before but now I can really get into it Zion Branch and Zachariah Branch were probably going to be Buckeyes until Sunday happened that's just the I mean they came here for the Michigan State game it was their second time here after coming for an official visit back in oh well, Zion was on an official visit Zachariah was just here for a visit because he's a 2023 guy let me go into that first, Zion, the number 43 player, the number six safety in the 2022 class. He is their free safety in the class with Xavier Wampa being the bullet, Kai Stokes being the cover safety. Um, Zachariah Branson, five-star wide receiver, number 15 player, number two wide receiver in the 2023 recruiting class. That's his little brother, both Bishop Gorman out in Nevada. He is the explosive slot receiver that we've seen Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith, the jig be these past two seasons. So those are two really big gets for them but their dream school is USC. And you cannot compete with a player's dream school, especially when the dream school is healthy. It's why Quinn Ewers is here because Texas sucked. It's why, you know, Jeff Okuda and, you know, Baron Browning and JK Dobbins came here because Texas wasn't good. California, USC was not good. So you get Chris Olave, you get CJ Stroud, you get Wyatt Davis. Well, USC just hired Lincoln Riley. And every single player on the West Coast is extremely excited about that. I bring up Damani Jackson, the number two cornerback in the country, who it looked like when he decommitted from USC, he was headed to Bama. He's probably going to recommit to USC now that Lincoln Riley is there. That USC is Zion and Zachariah Branch's dream school. And so USC is probably going to win this battle. Now, I'll leave open some space for the relationship Matt Barnes has built was Zion Branch and the idea that it has been pointed out very clearly where he fits into this defense. I'll leave some room for that. I'll leave some room for Brian Hartline has only been told no once and it was Denzel Burke wanting to play cornerback. I'll leave some room open for that, but it's probably a safe bet to say that that's no longer going to happen and they're probably going to end up at USC. So that's like the immediate impact of Lincoln Riley going to USC is not a good thing for Ohio State. And it's not going to be for a little while until the initial awe and excitement of USC's awesome again wears off. So it starts there.
1: It won't be a good thing until Ohio State has to play him in a playoff game.
0: (laughs) That's
1: that's too easy. That's some low hanging fruit that I shouldn't take a swing at. But the, the, the USC Dream School idea is intriguing to me because clearly USC existed, USC extended them scholarship offers USC would have taken them under the previous coaching administration i think it's interesting how that USC was not their dream school it was no longer their dream school and now they get to maybe a little bit more easily envision the new USC as the dream school
0: yeah it's and USC kind of stuck around they had taken some visits there and kind of kept them it was far off but it was it was it, if they had chosen USC two weeks ago, it probably been an emotional decision. It wouldn't have been based off like all the knowledge and making the best possible decision for your career. Now they can make an emotional decision where it's also the best possible decision for their career. So, yeah, it's the dream school thing is always a factor when you're dealing with teenagers. And it's, it's no dream school and family are two things that you can't compete with. I don't care if you're Nick Saban.
1: We already talked on the Wednesday pod about some of the effects of Notre Dame, especially if they were to retain Marcus Freeman there, and why that's a potential bad thing for Ohio State and recruiting, or certainly not a positive thing for Ohio State and recruiting. I don't know how much if you go into like the SEC and Oklahoma, those effects, the negative effects of that and those coaching changes aren't as apparent to me. This texter though did ask for good and bad. Do you see any good out there? from this coaching carousel that that way, way things are going to improve for Ohio state uh,
0: this is going to no but that's not necessarily a negative you know, I don't like no, nothing that happened has to change with Ohio State's overall approaches outside of the California thing. They're still going to. It's not like they're getting a bunch of SEC kids every single year. They get the ones that are the right fit for them. Uh, Brandon Innes is now interesting if he doesn't just follow. He was an Oklahoma commit, the number one wide receiver in the 2023 recruiting class. That's interesting if he doesn't decide to just follow Lincoln Riley to USC because he was here for a camp in the summer. And Brian Hartline's got a good relationship with him. So that makes that interesting. But it's there's no Emil Wagner, maybe depending on you know Notre Dame. Do they want to get back into that if he decides to reopen his recruitment now that Brian Kelly's not there? Um, Xavier Wampa, Marcus, how big of a market as of a deal is it if Marcus Freeman becomes the head coach, even because he was already recruiting them at a high level beforehand? But. There's no, like, guy where it's like, oh, they're out on this school, and now Ohio State can just go grab them real quick. It's it's too early in the 2023 recruiting cycle, and they're very stead focused on the guys that they want in 2022 and trying to lock those guys in.
1: We're going to pick up on that topic when we come back from break. You were listening to the Buckeye Talk. So, Stephen, you said no immediate, like, obvious good benefits for Ohio state from these coaching shakeups. I suppose one would be if Marcus Freeman were to leave Notre Dame altogether, a guy who's been making some inroads in the Midwest head to head with Ohio state, that would potentially be a good thing for Ohio state. We had a question from the five one three, who are the three recruits that were committed to schools of coaching shakeups that are most likely to flip to OSU. Anybody that you would put in that category?
0: Yeah, no. Cause <laughs> There's not a lot of there's not a ton of people committed somewhere where it was like, oh, Ohio State, like, finished second there. And now they left the school. No, it's it's, it's just not like that right now. Um, mm-hmm. You're trying to wrap up a 2022. class I will say this, though. He's not committed um, and I, we can get into more of these guys later on down in this pod. But I do want to mention this hero canoe. The number ninety three player, the number sixteen defensive lineman, the kid out of Germany who is attending high school in California, loves Larry Johnson like really loves Larry Johnson. In fact, Larry Johnson and Ryan Day just did a home in home visit with him on Tuesday. Really loves him. There is all belief in the world that he is going to be a Buckeye. All belief. He's his plan is to is is is, is to commit on January eighth at, at, at the uh, Army All American Ball. But he's he's already said publicly he's probably going to be silently committed leading up to that date um there's a lot of good reason to believe that's going to be the Buckeyes, guys but you do have to leave a little bit of percentage open with he had a great relationship with lincoln riley when he was when he was at oklahoma does lincoln riley convince him to go to usc but that's not the same as zion branch or Demonte jackson or any of these other california kids where it's like he's actually like a west coast kid he just happens to go to school there so i i I put out a list about a month ago of, of, of how I think the class might finish out. I think right now I'm most confident that that guy will be. I put Kiro Kanu in. Um, that's the guy probably I'm most confident saying that he will be in this class.
1: It is worth mentioning that the timing of all this and being this close to signing day, which is basically 13 days from the point that you're all listening to this. The signing day is on the 15th. And this will be coming out on the second. So mm-hmm. um, that's a pretty short window of time. Now, obviously, we've seen flips happen in less time than that. But it, it does complicate it as far as like talking about both gaining guys and losing guys who are already committed and ready to sign. And had have been planning to sign all along and had been that far along in the relationship. But keep an eye on that. Get the text. 614-350-3305. Steven will be texting as all that stuff uh, boils out here in the next couple of weeks. From the 513, because you just mentioned Ryan Day is out on the road recruiting, as is the rest of the staff. Can Ryan Day wait from a recruiting standpoint to address the defensive coaching? And I guess the gist of this conversation is they know that Kerry Combs is out doing visits, they know Matt Barnes mm-hmm. is out doing visits. You have a very unsettled defensive coordinator situation, you have a very unsettled situation as to Whether those guys are still on staff and what role they will have. We assume Matt Barnes will be back. It sure sounded like Kerry Combs didn't think he would be back. So what does that mean as far as recruiting and how quickly does a resolution to the coaching staff question start to impact recruiting?
0: I think, I don't know if you have to have a guy in the next two weeks before somebody signs. I just don't know if it has to work that way, especially if they're going to get a guy like we've been talking about, who's more of a mind than he is a recruiter anyway. I just think you have to be very, very honest in these conversations. And that means like maybe even taking opening up the, the door and showing people, okay, here are the candidates. Here's what we're looking for. Here's what we want. Um, Matt Barnes being honest in what, whatever his role is going to be with this defense, whether it is as a defensive coordinator, whether it is as just a secondary's coach, it's just, they have to be a lot more transparent than most. I think at this point, because of the way Day handles things. But I also think what helps Ryan day. Does, is it, doesn't act like a normal head coach in terms of recruiting. He doesn't just leave it to the positions coaches. And then he comes in to maybe be more of a closer at the end of the day. He's with these kids every step of the way from the moment they get offered up until the moment they sign, whether it's with Ohio state or somewhere else. And so the relationship is a little bit more comfortable because you know, the head coach a little bit better. And so, yes, knowing who your defensive coordinator is, is very important. I'm not downplaying that at all, but at the end of the day, the most important people in a, in a, football program as a recruit or the head coach and the strength and conditioning guy. And Ryan Day is not going anywhere and neither is Mick Moradi. So if you've got solid relationships with those two guys, I think people are able to be a little bit more, you know, open minded with the hiring processes of whoever the assistant coaches, because these kids all know assistant coaches come and go. That's part of the job. It's about the stability with the strength and conditioning coach and the head coach. And because Ryan Day gets in so early, no, I don't think he needs to have a defensive coordinator in place by like December tenth.
1: I do think that we, where we have seen this impact, Ohio State is when it's going to be related to the position coach, though. When Jeff Halfley left, mm-hmm. that led to a flip late in that that uh, twenty twenty recruiting cycle. So with guys in this class like Terrence Brooks, like um, Jair Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, where where do you, Ryan Turner, like, you're getting farther down the list there. But, like, those guys who are, like, you know, national recruits, top 150-level recruits, like, what is the connection with Kerry Combs and how crucial is it that they hold on to those guys?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you straight up, Jair Brown's not going anywhere at all. He's told me that. He's told other people that. He's tweeted it out publicly. He's not going anywhere. He hasn't even been talking to coaches for months. I think an important thing that happened over the summer was matt barnes got very involved in recruitment recruiting especially once it was clear that like Kerry combs was only going to be the defensive coordinator and matt barnes just had the room before obviously things were a little haywire there but because of that Matt Barnes has built solid relationships with these guys that are just as important as Kerry Combs' relationship, because you're right. You don't want another situation like with Jeff Halfley, where Clark Phillips only committed here because of Jeff Halfley. And as soon as he leaves, Clark Phillips is out the door. Larry Johnson is the only assistant coach on his staff where you're allowed for for it to just be, I am here because of Larry Johnson. And that's because he's the best that's ever done it. So because it's been more of a group effort, you know, Jaya Brown, Ryan Turner, Terrence Brooks, even a guy like um, A.J. Harris, who's not committed anywhere yet in the 2023 class. They have a relationship with Matt Barnes that are just as strong with as Kerry Combs. is. so if Kerry Combs isn't back next year and Matt Barnes is still here, it's, you know, that relationship, the Ryan Day relationship, they're fine. You, they're not in a position to lose somebody because one assistant left, which I think they learned that lesson the first time around and made sure that never happens again.
1: This is a good big picture question. It comes from a local here in the six one four. Ohio State usually gets a lot of praise for recruiting. Do they really deserve that kind of praise, or is it a mirage? Specifically on defense, in days three classes, they signed top ten top one hundred recruits, three five stars on defense, compared to seventeen top one hundred recruits and 10 5 stars on offense. The difference is even more stark if you just look at twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. One five star on defense, two top one hundred players on defense. So Steven, do you see where this texture is coming from? And has it felt like that in the last couple of years, that the trend is so offense heavy that now we're seeing it on the field.
0: Yeah. And it's the result of a couple of things. It's one Ryan day didn't get rid of anybody on the offensive staff. He just replaced himself. And so you could, you know, continue the ball rolling as normal, which allows Brian Hartline to go get the receivers. It allows Tony offer to very quickly fix the running back recruiting. Like imagine if Tony offer would have missed in 2020 and then he took the Colorado state job, you know, then you're, I mean, Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor aren't here. So now it's two straight misses. And then, I mean, who's their running back right now? <laughs> like So that that that's part of it is the continuity on that side of the ball. While wow. I think when Ryan Day took over, one thing you did see like Jordan Battle was a top 100 recruit in the 2019 class, and he flipped to Bama once Urban Meyer was gone. Was a lot of especially defensively, a lot of guys had this wait and see approach. They wanted to see if you know Ohio State was going to be still good or not, basically, when Urban Meyer was gone. It's part of the reason Elias Riggs went to LSU instead of Ohio State. He wanted to see. I think we're a couple years into it now, and the defense hasn't been awesome the last two years. As a matter of fact, it had not really even been competent most of the time. But I think now the selling point is more of because of what Denzel Burke has done, because of the roles that JT and Jack Sawyer uh, carved out for themselves, because of the way Talik Williams played. Um, there's more of a selling point of, hey, there's opportunity to play right away because we kind of need you to because some of these older guys just aren't it. And I think as a five-star recruit, you can pay attention to that and see, I don't have to wait a year to get on the field. I can get on the field immediately so they can use that approach. But I do think, This 2023 class, because we're at the end of this 2022 class, you can't do anything about it now. This 2023 class, I think, is very important defensively because you're not worried about Ryan Day finding a quarterback or heartline finding some top tier wide receivers. And, you know, Richard Young might end up being the running back in this class. But defensively, I think this is kind of a put up or shut up. You know, a moment for the defensive staff, which is weird because right now we might just see a revamp of the staff, but they do need to get some level of continuity there. So that's not because it has been it's been very heavily offense, which is a dangerous territory because Ohio State can very quickly turn into a Big 12 school here if they don't get that, you know, defensive recruiting in order. And that means getting more than one top 100 recruit in a cycle.
1: At the same time, devil's advocate here, you've got two guys up front who are among the top recruits in the country. Yep. Period. Uh, at, the, at defensive end, you've got a slew of defensive back talent that has come in the last couple of years that they think is of a of national caliber. Um, so and then other than linebacker, if you're talking about 2022, as far as making the 2022 team better, the solution's got to come from within. Yep for the most part, like that, those guys just have to be, have to take that next step and be better and start to sort of realize some potential. We saw it a little bit with some guys, obviously in 2021, you know, Denzel Burke arriving and being ready, you know, guys like, um, you know, Ronnie Hickman, who's a couple years older, but even like Lathan Ransom whose role dwindled Cam Martinez, like you saw at least a flash out of those guys to where you think, okay, they could be a bigger part of the 2020 solution. Linebackers, the one where, if you're only looking for a solution from within, you might be in trouble, and then you might be asking a whole lot from their top two recruits in the 2022 class are linebackers, mm-hmm. two top 50 guys, depending on where, um, depending on where they have Terrence Brooks ranked, I suppose. No, no, no yeah, but they're they're right there, they're yeah. right there, they're right next to each other. But two, two, so two of the top three are linebackers, and I don't know what a reasonable expectation is for a freshman linebacker in the big 10 to come in and like star right away.
0: You can't expect both of those guys to hit. That's not even a, like that's not fair to anybody. Everybody's not going to be Micah Parsons where they come in from day one and they're just like, awesome. And it's like, yep, he'll be gone in three years. CJ Hicks might be able to do that, but still that's not fair to because everybody else sucks. He's got to be an all American from day one. I think, I think you're right. It's it, I think they've recruited decently. Have they recruited at the same volume as offense? No, but that's because their head coach is an offensive guy and their wide receiver coach is a former Ohio State wide receiver who played in the NFL. It's never going to work like that. Guys got to start hitting. You know That 2018 class was the number two class in the country. Those guys just didn't hit. It's t- like the 2019 class kind of, I mean, it dipped because, you know, transition year. There's a lot of talent in that 2020 class, and those guys are now third-year players. They just got to hit. Cody Simon, uh, Steel Chambers is now comfortable being a linebacker. Those um, Reed Carico will have been in the been in the program for a year. The guys you have have to hit, and that's part of recruiting. It's not just pile up a bunch of talent. Then you got to develop it and make sure it actually lives up to those rankings.
1: A question from the five one nine, and I want to make sure that we put it in the correct context. Do we put too much stock in how many five stars we get every year? It feels like the current recruiting strategy is to get as many five stars as possible. It seems like a lot of the top defenses, Michigan, Wisconsin, focus more on players that fit their system. Well, (laughs) first of all, first of all, and I know that Michigan's defense just did very well against Ohio State. I'm, I'm hesitant to put Wisconsin in that same conversation. I know statistically they look really good. They never tend to look statistically very good when they get on the same field as Ohio State. They do pretty well against the rest of the Big Ten, which doesn't impress me as much. But B, I understand, I think what this person is saying, but I you're not gonna turn down the most talented players in the country. So I I I, and I don't think you can look across this defense. I don't think a lack of five star talent is what's or I don't think an abundance of five star talent is the problem with this defense. I think it's the opposite. I think you can look across and you can see some guys who were of that caliber who really haven't panned out or haven't haven't hit the way that Ohio State maybe thought they would. And there's a range of that. Right. That goes all the way from uh, someone like Teron Vincent, who doesn't even play that much and has had a semi limited impact here Mm -hmm. to someone like uh, Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, who play a lot, but didn't like become elite for lack of a better term, that I hate that term. But, you know, I think people know what I'm saying when I say that, that they've been very good, but they may haven't been that thing that's just so special that you can't take your eyes off of it. So I don't think, though, that the problem is not getting enough talent on defense because you look around the rest of this defense and look at who was starting at linebacker for this team, look at who's been starting in the secondary for this team, and that includes... Your seven bankses and your Cam Browns and your Bryson Shaw's like those are not five star. Like, how many five stars started for this defense really this year?
0: Two: so, Teron and, Vincent and, and, now, and Zach Harrison.
1: Right, right. and JT started when Mitchell guys were was, out. Uh, j- yes, and Taraj Mitchell was like a top fifty kind of guy. Yeah. Like, he was close. Five star also is a really tough.
0: Because it's only th- th- yeah, it's only thirty me. to thirty five of them per year because they do it by you know right. draft.
1: It's it's I wouldn't say arbitrary. But the cutoff sometimes is arbitrary. So I like I think of I always think of in terms of top 50 more than I think of in terms of five star as far as like the accumulation you're trying to get. Because I think there is a difference between a guy who's in the top 50 and a guy who's like 89th or 113th. Mm -hmm. Like those are still really good recruits. But like you make the top 50 to me, that's a that's a, a differentiator that I can like put some that has some like backbone to it but i again still around this defense especially guys who were starting and on the field when it mattered against michigan not a lot of those guys
0: what you have to re- to that point what you have to remember is ohio state missed in cornerback recruiting in 2018 that showed up this year it missed in linebacker recruiting in 2018 and 2019 that showed up this year it didn't miss on the defensive line and that showed up this year because they were they led the lead. they were leading the country in sacks for like six weeks before they just didn't get any sacks anymore. So it's yes, it, it does correlate to the talent point. The best defense in the country is Georgia, and they're the second most talented team in the country. They got five stars all in top 50 recruits all over the place. It's the problem is this. I understand there is maybe a little bit of overreaction because Michigan just you know wiped the forward Ohio State. Two things are at play: one, the lack of talent in the back seven, two this was a really young Ohio state team. And that was a very, very experienced Michigan team who all of those guys came back. We got to remember part of the reason why Michigan sucked so much last year is one, it was COVID and two, Aiden Hutchinson sat out. He didn't play. That's a big P I- he just showed us this year that that's a pretty big piece to be missing from your defense. You put that back. So that, that all plays a role into this. These young guys who are pretty talented, you know, the Denzel Burks of the world the Tyler Williams of the world, the Jack Sawyer, the JT Tui Malow, the Cody Simons, they got valuable experience this year that they only got because of the misses in the classes before them. So no, it's not a, ta- there's no such thing as an, a, talent problem when you're talking about an abundance of talent you'd rather have more five stars than you know what to do with than not enough
1: i think that's a good point and i think that again i do think it, it we, we got the opposite question there back to back right it's like well, on one hand yeah. they're not getting enough talent on the and then on the other hand they're getting they're focusing too much on just getting the the rankings guys or whatever. And I don't think that I don't think that's the way Ohio State looks at that. I don't think no. they wait until the rankings come out and go by that. I don't think any good program does that. So, I think right now there is it, it's fair to say that the defensive performance has not been good enough either the last mm-hmm. two years. They've been down in the 50s in um in total defense for the country. Mm-hmm. And when you look inside at the metrics, the football outsiders and things like that, like their defense doesn't really look that great there either it's not always ranked that low but as far as like what the pure numbers are but it's still mediocre and i think it's that's usually fine if you have one of the great offenses of all time the problem was like there was just some lack of a better term uh some bad timing with the 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 oregon (laughs) loss if if just the way that that lined up the perfect trajectory of the season for both oregon and Ohio State, in some ways. Like the, the only time Oregon could have beaten Ohio State all year with no on Thibodeau was probably yeah. that day, maybe even in week one, but it was in that short window early in the season. There's no other time this year where Oregon without Kayvon Thibodeau could have beaten Ohio State. And uh, especially once Ohio State had kind of a little bit of an awakening on defense and fixed some things, um, although, as we saw against Michigan, didn't fix them well <laughs> enough. We're gonna take another break right there and come back and finish up these questions about recruiting here on Buckeye Talk. Last question from our texters from the 865. Why do we recruit such small linebackers? That's from Martin in the 865. Stephen, how would you characterize the kind of player that Ohio state goes out and finds as a linebacker, or do you, do you think that's an oversimplification?
0: That's a very oversimplification. Cause I, I don't, this isn't 1965 or even 1995, where you've got the big bruising linebacker with the, you know, the cowboy collar, even though some teams still wear the cowboy collar, um, but where it's just like, that linebacker doesn't exist anymore. Linebackers are asked to do so many other things other than just like run after the ball and be mean. So, I I mean, CJ Hicks is 6'3", 215. You know, Gay Powers is 6'4", 230. Uh, you know, I don't know. Reed Carrico was you know, 6'3", 225. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like Cody it's, Simon was 6'1", 218 when he got here. These are the, I mean, this is the size linebackers are what? Typically around 6'1", to 6'3", to anywhere between 215 and 230. That's just like a side, depending on if they're outside or an inside linebacker, that's what it is.
1: Yeah, I think what is happening here a little bit is, again, it's, it's sort of looking at both sides of the coin because you come out of last season thinking, how state's got to find a way to get more speed on the field. So they go all in on the bullet and get Ronnie Hickman on the field for 12 games this year. And he leads his team in tackles. He had more tackles than anybody on his team by like 40. Cody Simon was second on this team in tackles. I think people might be shocked to hear that number one, that Cody Simon was second on the team in tackles, but number two, that the gap that was there, I'd have to go back and look and see if there's any time somebody led Ohio state in tackles by as many as Ronnie Hickman did or when the last time that was. Mm. So they got more speed on the field, but it looked pretty conspicuous in the Michigan game that you've got a smaller guy in the box for like every snap of that game. So they do seem like they have to figure out what they are a little bit there. Um, but this also was not the ideal linebacker setup for them. And it's their own fault, their own coach. This is who they got. It's who they got and developed and who was still here after some attrition happened because those guys didn't develop or didn't get the opportunity they thought they were going to get. So, I do think I, I see where this person is coming from that. And I've seen this happen at other places too, where sometimes if you don't have like that capital LB linebacker, that it's a deficiency in your defense. And when, when these these basketball years as versatile as Pete Werner was, nobody thought that guy's not a linebacker. He mm-hmm. could do other things for you, but at the end of the day, he played like a linebacker and had that mentality. And so did Malik Harrison. And so did, uh, you know, I, tough Borland. I mean, that guy, that guy was a linebacker. So I, I do think that the, these guys could regain that for next year. You know, Cody Simon was hurt a lot of this year. Steel chambers wasn't a linebacker until August. So literally, <laughs> yeah. Like as of July, he was, well, that's not, I won't, I won't finish that. no, as no. As no, of, they, as of <laughs> July, he was as much, Linebacker is me or you but that is not true that yeah, is not true fair. i'm not going that's to speak fair. that hyperbole into existence <laughs> I, played, I did once play linebacker at one point in my life and uh, they're still laughing about it east central illinois so i think that those guys set some foundation for themselves this year but it's definitely a, a something that has to be addressed and it's going to be a battle i mean we're going to be talking about this in the spring like these guys that are coming in you got reed carico who basically took a red shirt this year as a freshman mm-hmm. didn't play at all, but. Like those guys have an opportunity to step up and seize something here from a, a group of guys who you know went out and did, I guess, the best they could, but it, as a group, that wasn't good enough.
0: I think they need to decide what the bullet is. They need to like legitimately. De- is it a hybrid? Is it a guy in the box, or is it just a second safety? They did, that's because that helps here. Because if Craig Ye- like, there were times in the Michigan game where to the point of they had like a safety in the box, they would have Mike Marcus Williams sitting like in the box. And it's like, oh, that's not going to go well. I mean, just looking at it, that looks like you're going to get abused. If Craig Young was out there, though, then you'd probably feel a little bit more comfortable. I think Court Williams, back to that conversation, he did so much this year that went, oh, that's a linebacker thing. Oh, that's a safety thing. That guy needs to be on the field more next year. So what? what is the bullet at this point in this world where, I mean there were times where you needed Ronnie Hickman to be deep there were times you brought him up which is why he led the lead, led the team in tackles decide what that position is first and actually stick to that plan whatever that is cuz that helps you kind of figure out who needs to be on the field and what situations and what personnel you need out there and so you're not in a situation where you got Ronnie Hickman deep and then the only other guy you have in the box is a guy who's the same size as a cornerback
1: Yeah you know it's tricky because we're straying a little bit from recruiting here, obviously, but at the start of this year, when we thought that it was going to be kind of an either, or that it was going to be a, a sort mm-hmm. of a split position that against some matchups, you would use Craig young as the bullet in some matchups, you'd use Ronnie Hickman as a bullet. And everybody, I could think thought looked at that and thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you do that? But then Ronnie Hickman emerges as like the most consistent player in your back seven. So, or him or Denzel Burke, but like yeah. one of those two guys. And then, so then it's like, well, how do you take that guy off the field at some point? Like he, I think they got a little bit caught there now. I, but again, as we talked about, I thought maybe they would use Craig Young as the slot corner, the way they did against Michigan state. And I'm curious why they never pulled the trigger on that. Like, even as, as that game started to develop, why they didn't use him more, he got on the field, some, but hardly. And I thought that they would do that more. So I think uh, it will be interesting to see how this year, And the way things unfolded change what they do in recruiting because the whole concept of the bullet was also based in some deficiencies that they saw on the field before. I I think that the instituting it this year, the way they did finally was based on some deficiencies they saw on the field last year, the the lack of speed that we just talked about. So we'll see, but you won't see the effects of that immediately. You won't see the effects of that with who they're getting for 2022. It's going to be... Mm -hmm. Down the road a little bit. Anything else that you want to say about recruiting before we get into your prognostication in basketball?
0: Yeah, that's a, another lesson, and don't listen to us about betting advice. Is basically <laughs> what that last was.
1: Positive thing you get to say about yourself on this <laughs> podcast.
0: Yeah, I, it's going to be an interesting month. I think you know, it's it's not all going to be decided by signing day. I, everybody who is already committed is in. No one's flipping out. You don't have to worry about that. Like, if they're quiet, it's just because they don't have anything to say at this point. They're just waiting to sign their piece of paper so that Ohio State can actually talk about them. So you don't have to worry about any flips. It just gets interesting with these last few guys as Hero Canoe makes his decision. Kaden Curry, now that he, you know, his season is over, he went went ahead and won a state championship as he goes into decision mode. Connor Heinzman, what does he do? Ernest Green, what does he do? You know, that's where we're at now. There's about five or six or seven guys. Who are going to decide where this recruiting class, class finishes in terms of the rankings that who are just we're just kind of in wait mode and wait and see until they we get to the date that they want to make their decisions but you don't have to worry about losing guys that's always a positive especially when there might be some coaching staff turnover
1: as of 3 30 on wednesday afternoon ohio state has 16 commits for this class you expect it to correct.
0: be 22 23 i'd say yeah i'll go 23 yeah
1: All right. On Wednesday's Buckeye talk, Stephen predicted a 13-point win for the Duke Blue Devils. He looked real smart at halftime. (laughs) (laughs) Looked real smart at halftime. Looked dead on at halftime. And then the Buckeyes come storming back and win this game. Uh, A a huge uh, victory, I think, for Chris Holman's crew. And you wrote about that a little bit today on the site, cleveland.com slash OSU. They needed a win like this to get some. I don't. Know, what do you want to say? Like get some mojo back, just get some mm-hmm. self confidence back. Um, Because I don't think it's so much about what people from the outside think of them now. People, I think, already knew Ohio State's a, a solid basketball program. But maybe this is one of those moments where, like, you do this, and 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 you know, Duke was the number one team in the country. Like, you know, I, I know Coach K is on his way out, and they've had some some scrapes here and there early themselves. But uh beating Duke even on your home floor under any circumstances is still a huge deal. Just like it would be for somebody beating Ohio state in football under any circumstances. So what does this mean for what you, how you think the rest of the season unfolds for Ohio state?
0: I think it's a, it's kind of a checkpoint. And then basketball, you can have a multitude of checkpoints because it's such a longer season. Um, because it's like, as I said, in the story, it's even at halftime when they were down and it looked like, okay, you, you fought long enough, but now the more talented team's going to take over and that's going to be a day. I was a little worried at halftime that is Ohio State going to win this game because they only should have been down 43 to 37 if they actually made their free throws and really could have been winning the game had they just not had mental errors and weren't turning the ball over by dribbling on their over their own feet and making bad passes. So I'm thinking they had to be in that locker room thinking we can play with these guys, but maybe we can beat these guys. And I think they needed that. And it's funny that the football team's kind of in a, not completely the same situation, but kind of in a crossroads situation. I mean, you, you got upset by oral Roberts in the first round of the NCAA tournament as a two seed when you were supposed to be taking a step. And that's when hanging over this program, all offseason. Holtman's admitted to it both publicly and in my own conversations with them. It's going to get talked about. It was a, one of the main questions he got after they almost lost to Akron in the season opener of, Hey, did this have any remnants of the oral Roberts game? They needed his game like this to let them know they could, especially how the last couple of weeks were going where they had been playing in some close ones with Xavier, with Florida, with Seton hall. Listen, it's legendary. Maybe the goat of college football, of college basketball coaches. It's the number one team in the country. It's the number one pick in the NBA draft. They needed some, not even a pick me up, just a moment of, Okay. We're heading in the right direction here. We're, it, things aren't completely off the rails, even if it may seem like that from the outside looking in. And so this is major confidence b- booster, major morale booster for a program who is trying to take that next step. And getting a win like this, it's gonna matter in March when they're in a situation like this again. Just like the Earl Roberts game, they, they you know, they flunked that situation off. Maybe they won't do it next time because they have the confidence from a game like this
1: you obviously had some basketball reasons why you thought Ohio state would not match up with Duke in this game as the game then unfolded, how did they answer those doubts that you had? And are there things that you saw in this game that tell you, Oh, what I thought was a problem is something that's either fixable or is not as bad as I thought.
0: I thought Ohio state had to play close to perfect and then take advantage of every little mistake Duke had in order to win this game. And they didn't do that in the first half, but also Duke didn't play that well, which allowed him to kind of work their way back in it. But, you know, Paolo Benchero didn't play his best. He was 4'14". He missed some shots that typically he makes. No one on, you know, Wendell Moore Jr. didn't play awesome. He missed some shots he usually makes. He didn't make some plays he usually makes. And... and Really what it comes down to is EJ Liddell didn't play well and they were still in the game. And that's a great place to be in because that's not been the case. The first couple of weeks here, it's been the EJ Liddell show and then they have nothing else. Zed key had his first 20 point game of his career. Uh, Malachi Brandon flashed at some times. Michi Johnson, who has been, you know, the epitome of a roller coaster as far as what decision he's going to make next, made some really key decisions down the stretch there. Kyle Young did a really good job when he was guarding Paolo, Uh, you know, The guys kind of the others really stepped up and kind of grew up in this game and it put them in a position where because at some point your best player is going to have a moment. Right. That's just how basketball works. They allowed EJ Liddell to have a bad game and get him to a situation where he could go. And then obviously Cedric Russell stepped up as well, but they allowed EJ Liddell to get to a spot in the game where even if he's not having a good day, he could get to that place where. You guys did your job. I'll take it from here. And that's what that step back shot was to go up 69 to 66 was. He's having a bad game, but he's doing all the other stuff. 14 rebounds, six assists. He had like three blots. He did all that other stuff. And then when it was time for him to go be, you know, a big 10 player of the year, national player of the year candidate, he stepped up in that moment. And so everything in that second half went the way Ohio state needed it to go combined with Duke couldn't make shots and they were fouling a bunch.
1: So when I covered, Big 10 basketball. One of my least favorite venues to visit was value city arena is boring. Really? It was, it was empty. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was boring. It was quiet. It wasn't big 10 basketball. It wasn't big 10 basketball yeah. most weeks. Like you could go to a lot of other venues and they were raucous and the people were yelling stuff. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And I always felt like, um, the, there was just no atmosphere at value city arena. That's not what I, heard from people who were at that game last night so you were there kind of what was that experience like and how sustainable is that because I think um when you're in the Big Ten I think it's kind of a thing like the Big Ten leads the nation in college basketball attendance year after year after year they've got big venues they've there's some of them are in some towns that have nothing else going for them except the basketball team that night frankly I used to cover a team that was like that so like how how much of an impact do you think that that atmosphere made and you know chris holman after the game was basically imploring the fans like hey that was amazing please please let's see that again let's keep that coming
0: yeah anytime they've had that in the past they typically played well i the last time i remember an atmosphere like that was 2019 2018 2019 season so my first year covering the beat um and it was the Michigan State game. It was the first Big Ten game of the new calendar year. And then they had it with the Iowa game because there was interest at that point. Um, that, that matters. That, that's, I think that's why they won the game as well. When you have that type of atmosphere, it hasn't been like that all year. You know, obviously you, you cover basketball. So you try to get there 90 minutes, two hours before the game starts. So you can see stuff. I did my typical routine and then I get stuck in traffic on the freeway for 30 minutes. And I'm like, am I going to a football game? What's going on here? Never seen it like that before. It's not going to be like that for the talented game when they come here next Wednesday. Uh, Penn State's no, on the road, no, no. Um, but Wisconsin, the number twenty-three team in the country right now, and then the Kentucky game. Let's see what happens then, because that that that's kind of matter here. I understand that the interest in basketball gets there once football season is over, and you realize the basketball team is good. Well, guess what? The football season is over. They lost to Michigan. And they're not playing this weekend in the Big Ten championship game. And they're probably at best going to the Rose Bowl. That season is over. So, yeah, fans, come check out the basketball team because you got a young team who's kind of going to all young teams always thrive off the energy of the crowd, especially in basketball. So if you want to see more upsets over Duke the way you saw last night, come to the basketball games, especially once you get into Big Ten play. I'm
1: not going to say Ohio State was the worst. Penn State was worse. Rutgers was bad really, really bad when I was doing it back then before Rutgers got good, at least, at least Ohio state had some competitive teams and was, it was good, good in that stretch. Mm-hmm. So even if the crowd wasn't there, the, the basketball would still be good. So it is, I, I, and I, part of the reason why I looked down on it was because it just, I knew it should be better. Like, they I had an NBA
0: arena thing. and not necessarily environment that went with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know this is a football town for first for a football school first and foremost but there was enough history and enough recent history with basketball that I thought it deserved a better following and it's good I, I I like seeing that people showed up the other night last night and I hope that they keep showing up because I think uh, Ohio State basketball deserves it that'll do it for this episode of Buckeye Talk come back on Friday, one more episode this week, and then we're taking the weekend off. We will come back at you Sunday after whatever we hear as far as Ohio State's bowl destination. But for today, for Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk.